Hey everyone, you are listening to the fourth episode in the Mesh Point series, a one-on-one interview-style podcast in which I pick the brains of some of the best fantasy personalities in the industry about their craft. We also talk everyday life, food, fitness, travel, and more towards the end of the show. In this episode, Anthony Amico and I hash out our favorite prop bets for the NFL draft, then get into some discussion about our main occupation, teaching and how the coronavirus is forcing us to adjust on the fly to e-learning. I encourage you to check out all the previous interviews as they've all been insightful, educational, and at times pretty funny. I hope everyone is staying healthy and these podcasts can occupy your mind for a little bit of time while we wait out this pandemic. Now let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Ride In NFL DFS podcast, episode four of The Mesh Point. Today, I am joined by Anthony Amico to talk NFL draft prop bets. What's going on, Anthony? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So in this age of quarantine and shelter in place, stay at home orders with pretty much no sports uh, aside from, you know, some esports or some pixelated Madden characters to gamble on. The NFL draft, it looks like it's going to see a, a ton of, uh, you know, bets coming in on some of these prop bets. And I wanted to pick your brain because I know it's, it's one of your fortes, one of your specialties that you have, uh, you know, prospect evaluation. Uh, I see all the, the graphs that you're slapping on Twitter. So definitely wanted to bring you on to talk about uh, these draft prop bets. But the first thing I want to do is uh, tell people where they can find your content. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm probably writing a little less than usual, but most of my stuff is over at Roto Experts. I do a few articles over at DraftKings Playbook as well. So that's where you can find all my written stuff. And uh, I mean, honestly, most of the takes I feel like these days are just in the 280 characters on Twitter. So uh, absolutely, yeah. You know, just... And if anybody doesn't follow Anthony at Amixta on Twitter, A M I C S T A, he drops the knowledge. There are. Uh charts infographics uh all kinds of cool stuff that he uh evaluates and runs numbers he's a big analytics guy so if you like looking at stats and um putting those things into play in your fantasy research definitely give anthony a follow so the first thing that i want to talk about is how the remoteness of this year's nfl draft is going to impact um you know picks and and how teams just go about uh, navigating the draft. First thing I, I've, I've heard two variations of this, which um, is funny, but I've heard that uh, I've heard some people speculate that there are going to be more trades potentially because, you know, uh, teams don't want projects that they're going to have to work on throughout the summer when they might not be able to work on uh, throughout the summer or, um, and there, I have also heard that there might be less trades because, you know, the, different people within an organization might not be able to agree on a certain trade and they won't be sitting right next to each other to work things out. So the remoteness will hurt that way. Do you have a a lean one way or the other, if there'll be more or less trades? Yes. I mean, I just kind of feel like if some people think there will be more and some people think there'll be less, that the most likely outcome is just probably no change. Um, I mean, we may see a spike in trades just because of like standard variants, but I, I don't think that like, 
I'm assuming that for the most part, these guys all know how to get in contact with each other, even if they're not in the office. So I, I don't expect it to be very different. But, you know, then again, it is the NFL. So you never know. I mean, I, I'm sure there's at least one front office that is like bamboozled by this stay at home thing. And, you know, maybe that's maybe that's enough to, to change things. Yeah, we could probably put our finger on uh, which of the two or three that it is as well. <laughs> Um, how about injury questions? Like a guy like Tua, you know, there's reports coming out that his hip is pretty good. I saw something on Twitter yesterday that two surgeons um, are very optimistic. And, you know, I'm, I don't think a surgeon's going to come out and before, right before the NFL draft and destroy his stock and say that, you know, his hip is mangled. But um, how are teams going to treat, do you think, guys that have injury questions that they weren't able to see at a pro day or, or get a workout in with uh, prior to the draft? This one to me actually seems pretty significant. Maybe not for, and probably not for a guy like Tua, just because he's such an elite prospect. But especially like those day three guys, where it's a lot of, um, you know, I would say projection to begin with. Um, you know, I could see a lot of those guys just straight up not getting taken if they have any potential injury red flags. We know that plenty of teams, and I'm not saying that this is the right way to approach it. It's probably at least a little arrogant. But there's plenty of teams that that won't take anyone if they can't clear them by their own doctors. So, you know, if, if we assume that even like two or three teams are just kind of like widespread crossing some of these guys out, like it's just less less land less potential landing spots for some of these injured players. And I would expect them to fall and probably at a more significant rate the deeper you get into the draft. Yeah, I agree. So <clears throat> we know that prop bets for other sports, um, you know, NBA, NFL are often very inefficient, um, mainly because, you know, we don't see a ton of action coming in on these prop bets. So, you know, books are less likely to run to uh, a line and change it or adjust it in the prop betting section, right? They, they're, they're more worried about the spread and the total when something like that happens. I just, I think back to the NBA season, LaMarcus Aldridge was ruled out and you can get DeMar DeRozan uh, over under points the same as it was when Aldridge was in the lineup. So those widely inefficient props um, are the NFL draft props similar in that the books aren't really paying attention to, you know, the, the chatter about where guys are going to go. I think it's probably more inefficient. I mean, in my experience, it's, it's maybe the most inefficient market out there. Just if you're like, if you're like willing to get into the weeds on it and do a lot of the, the grinding of the news, the mocks, you're going to have a pretty big edge. I mean, I think that the the big thing that differentiates like a draft prop from, you know, like you're saying like an NBA prop or something like that, is just like the timeline is way longer. So like a lot of times these props come out and a lot of that like uncertainty is probably like baked in to the opening line. But if you have a, a stance you know, you can realize a lot more equity by the time the draft comes. I mean, I have plenty of props and there's plenty of props out there that like people have bet at, you know, plus 700, plus 800, you know, by, by draft day, they're like plus 200 or even money. Like this happens all the time. I mean, last year, the big one for me was Marquise Brown, like to be the first receiver taken. I forget exactly what the odds were, but it was like, you know, it was one of those things where you were like, yeah, I, I think I could probably see this happening. And then by draft day, you're like, I'm, I'm pretty confident he's going to be the first receiver taken. 
but you got it at like plus 500 because you bet it early, you know, like those, those kinds of things probably don't really happen with the, the daily props just because the market is moving too quickly. Yes, absolutely. So uh, for the props that you are mostly interested, you mentioned, you know, some five plus 500 plus uh, 700. Are you mainly trying to, you know, find that diamond in the rough long shot? Are you willing to lay big money for big favorites? I mean, obviously this year, I think, you know, like Joe Burrow going number one, Chase Young going number two, is kind of off the board for um, most betters just because it's just a ridiculous amount of money to lay, even though that they are basically locks. Um, but are you looking at like a lot of these sites have pre-selected parlays where, you know, they have the first four or five guys laid out and it's a pretty big plus money number. Um, what type of prop bets are you trying to get into? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, generally speaking, I'm definitely like a GPP better, you know, like, like right. I have a bunch of futures already in for like NFL MVP, like MLB home run leader. Like I like bets like that uh, just cause I think you can, you can win some pretty good money when you're right. Um, even if the best themselves are like low percent hit rate. Um, so like for the most part, like, like in, in terms of the draft in particular, like I'll take, I'll try to take some over-unders if I think that there's like a large edge in the line. Uh, like Henry Ruggs, I got under 17 and a half. Now it's probably like 14 and a half, 15 and a half, yeah. depending where you look. So like stuff like that, like if I see it and I think it's good, I'll, I'll take it. Um, but I, I, I'm like a huge sucker for like, you know, plus, <laughs> plus 400 and longer. Like I just like to be, I just like to win more when I'm right. Because I, exactly. I, I don't think that like, I don't think as far as the prop bets go for the draft, like I don't know if like your hit rate's going to be like way, way better on like the minus one tens than they are going to be on like the plus two fifties. And I just rather, I would just rather win more money when I'm right. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that they cap the most of the, the wagers for prop bets um, when you're betting an over under like that, you're probably not seeing much of a return, even if you, you bet the max anyway. So let's get right into it. Anthony, I want to hear your uh, first prop bet that you are going to be giving to the listeners that you think has the best value. Yes, I'm going I'm to start small. I'll start with an over-under. Um, and I try to find, I try to find bets that, that haven't moved too much. But uh, Tristan Wirfs under 8.5. Uh, I got it at, at minus 110. Now it's only minus 121. But you know, I just think he's the best lineman in the draft. I know for a while he's been mocked to the Giants. A lot of people still have him there. Uh, Isaiah Simmons seems like he's probably going to be the pick. But uh, even if the Giants don't take a lineman, there's at least two other teams, I think, in that range that are eligible to take linemen. Uh, Carolina could certainly do it. Uh, I would probably like it a little bit better if they hadn't just traded Trey Turner for a tackle. But, you know, definitely still viable. I don't really think they want to get Teddy hit back there. Um, and, and the Cardinals, I mean, I, they've definitely shown that they want to just kind of go all in on this Kyler Murray thing and he's a stud. So, uh, got to protect him. I I think, uh, you know, so you really have like three or four teams, depending on what Miami does that I think are are eligible to take a lineman. And I think that if, even if only just one lineman goes in that range, uh, I think it's probably worse. Yeah. Worse is a bet. And he's one of the only bets that I placed, um, a few weeks ago and, I did get him at, I think it was, I don't think it was, I think it was minus 115. I don't have it exactly in front of me, but worse is the only bet that I made prior to the, uh, you know, the coronavirus 
pandemic uh, changing all of our lives. But I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think the Giants, I mean, Gettleman has tipped his hand before, you know, with Daniel Jones, with Saquon Barkley. People kind of knew that that's where he was going. And I've heard that, you know, that is kind of the way that he wants to go with uh, tackle this year. So that's why I hopped all over that. But I agree with you there. I even think, but and I made that bet before all the glowing reports came out about Tua. So that kind of pushes it one spot down because I really thought the Chargers were going to go tackle if everything uh, wasn't copacetic with, with Tua's hip. But, uh, you know, who knows there? But I do I do like that pick. I actually have it myself. The other tackle from Alabama, Jedrick Wills, I think uh, under 10 and a half is going to be my bet. I think uh, of those teams that we talked about, if Tristan Wirfs is taken by one of them, I can still see uh, the Panthers or Arizona, and then behind Arizona, the Jags. I could see a run on tackles going there um, in that 7 to 10 range. So I went with uh, Jedrick Wills, but I have both those tackles. I think both of them will be off the board before pick 11, and that would be a nice payday if that was the case. How about your second prop? Uh, my second prop, uh, and I, if you follow me on Twitter, I've talked about this already, but uh, over five and a half Alabama players in the first round. Uh, it's been trending a little bit in the wrong direction. I, I got it at plus 110. It's plus 118 now on DraftKings. Um, really just uh, directly related to Trevon Diggs. It seems like his uh, status as a first rounder has kind of fluctuated over the last week. And, and in, yeah. like, you know, it's, it's dropped a ton. I mean, I, I think a week and a half ago, he was like minus 240 to go in the first round. Now it's plus 112. But, um, you know, I still think that he has a really good chance to sneak into the back half of the first round. They have an edge rusher that's pegged as a second rounder, but you never know with some of these edge guys, maybe they jump up. Um, so I still like it as a plus money bet. I mean, I, I think that Diggs is probably like a coin flip to go in the first round. Uh, and you're getting slightly better than that in terms of the odds here. Uh, and I, I like it as I like it better than just straight betting digs because you do get a couple extra outs, you know, just in case something else does happen. Yeah, that is <clears throat> that is a a bet that I was definitely looking at. There was there was an also there was another one with um, total SEC players, and I kind of aggregated all the mocks that um, of people that I trust and think I, uh, they know what they're talking about, and most of them had uh, more SEC players than whatever the line was. I think it was. Might have been 15, 14.5. But that is not my second prop bet. My second prop bet is Josh Jones, another tackle. I'm all over the tackles. Um, I got him at under 26.5. And I just think that there are a ton of teams that need tackle. Tackle's pretty deep um, with Becton and Werfs and uh, Wills. And we talked about, um, who's the other guy? Oh, Andrew Thomas as well. But I think that Josh Jones with the Vikings needing a tackle and having um, two picks, the, the Dolphins have two picks after their, their top 10 pick. Uh, the Jaguars have another pick. A lot of these teams that have early picks come back and get a second pick in the later uh, part of the draft. And I think if they, if they pull the trigger on uh, some upside in there with their top pick, you know, like if the, if the, Dolphins go uh, Justin Herbert or Tua, whoever it may be, that they come back and try to protect him with the tackle. And I think Josh Jones comes off the board uh, in that, you know, that mid to later part of the first round. I, w- I was searching and searching for <clears throat> 27 and a half because I think the Seahawks at 27 could also pull 
the trigger on tackle two. And uh, if you could find that 27 and a half, that would be absolutely huge. That would give you a, a one more pick to, to hit that prop bet. All right. So the third bet that Anthony Amico is going to give us, and we are all going to run to the books to place <laughs> is what? Uh, so this is one I really like uh, Henry Ruggs to be drafted by the Broncos. You can get this on points bet. Uh, I took it at plus 800. It's now plus 700. But uh, all, pretty much all the local reports and, and Benjamin Albright, who I, I like to think is, is somewhat plugged in with Denver, uh, is just all over the like Denver just loving rugs. And, you know, I think that they're already a very popular landing spot for receiver. I mean, we know they have Cortland Sutton. But they really don't have out, you know, much outside of that, and they, they do have a young quarterback in Drew Locke. So I think receiver is, you know, a pretty good uh, estimation for Denver as well. They're in a really good spot to get rugs, I think, just because if you look at how the draft order shakes out, uh, you know, I would imagine like you know maybe Judy goes at twelve to the Raiders, uh, Lamb goes at thirteen to the to the Niners. You know, the Bucks probably aren't taking a receiver, and then you get rugs going to Denver. Uh, Denver definitely has ammo if they want to move up a little bit to grab them because they love them. I can see that happening too. So, um, you know, at, at eight to one or, or now at seven to one, you're, you're getting that at like, you know, 12 and a half percent or so. Um, I think that there's probably a better chance than that, that he ends up landing there. So it's, you know, it's plus EV and uh, it's one of those bets. Like I was mentioning before, I just like that you get a, uh, you get paid a nice chunk. Uh, the Broncos are definitely going to go receiver. And if some of the, the sharps that you follow think that it's going to be Henry Ruggs, then I think that's a great pick. Um, you know how some GMs fall in love with his his skill set. And, you know, Drew Locke has got the arm to get him the ball. And it complements Court and Sutton as well. I really like that. Let me tell you, uh, let me see what you think about this. Uh, this is a, it's a plus 250 bet. So there's a little bit of value there. Um, and it's Tua to the Chargers. So I've seen a lot of reports that the Dolphins really like Justin Herbert. Um, I'm not really confident enough to say that they are going to pass on Tua to take uh, Justin Herbert. But just in case they do, Tua to the Chargers is plus 250, and that also covers the Chargers leaping the Dolphins uh, maybe into that third spot uh, with the Lions to come up and get Tua if they really like him. And it also covers the Dolphins passing on Tua uh, at five and the Chargers, you know, him just falling to the Chargers at six. What do you think about that? No, I definitely like it. Uh, I actually bet that myself last week at, at plus 275. Um I I am like really really nervous about this quarterback thing because I mean my my basic rule of thumb is like if Schefter doesn't say it I don't I don't buy it and uh, even he was saying something last week about you know uh, he is not as confident as everybody else that Miami is is like all in on Tua and uh, that's enough for me to like kind of like hedge out on all my Tua to Miami stuff so I I definitely got a little bit of that. Um, my court, I basically just have like the quarterbacks hedged out. So like Herbert and Tua, like wherever they end up, if it's as long as it's those two teams, uh, I, I should profit. So that's good. Um, but even just as a standalone bet, for sure. I mean, plus two fifty is, uh, in my opinion, not properly, of, uh, you know, estimating the odds. I guess of him going to the Chargers. So that 
<clears throat> that's currently at uh, William Hill is where I found plus two fifty. Um, if you shop around, you could probably find it at uh, in, in that neighborhood. I know it, it's down at some other books. I think Fanduel has it at like plus one ninety now. So it's obviously being bet down across the industry. Um, but if you're listening to this, you could put the uh, the old podcast on pause and go go check for it right now, so you can get the best money the best odds for your money, because I really do like that two out of the chargers uh, prop bet. So I, I, we've already talked about a lot of the receivers that are going to come off the board, Jerry, Judy, CD lamb, uh, Henry Ruggs. Do you think that even money for Jerry Judy to be the first wide receiver taken is um, a solid bet? Uh, to be honest, I I'm like not super sold that that's going to happen. And I actually am in on both Lamb and Rugs at, at longer odds. Like, I, this is like, a, again, this is like a situation where, like, it, it, it might be fairly valued that he's even money. Um, it's probably a coin flip. Maybe it's a little bit better than a coin flip for, in favor of Judy. But, like, I'd rather just have a couple other guys in the field on the off chance that it's not Judy. And uh, I'll still make out on that. I mean, I, I think, I'm like I said before, I think there's a lot of people who just love rugs. Like, you really can't – if you're a rugs guy, you really can't replace what he does later in the draft. Um, not to discount what, like, Judy and Lamb do because they're special in their own way, I think. But, like, skill set-wise, like, there's only one Henry Ruggs. So, I, I definitely – I think I probably like him the most as, like, an outright bet to be the first receiver. Uh, Lamb definitely has his admirers out there also. So, you know, we'll see. I think, I mean, the Jets are going to be a swing spot on this. But, yeah, I mean, I'm probably not betting Judy at even money. Like, I'm just good with not taking the favorite. Even though he is, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure in a bunch of places he's like minus 125, stuff like that. So, like, even money is probably like a plus EV bet. I would just rather, I would just rather not. Yeah, so, and I think this is a good time to be in tune with the front offices of, of each team and know what type of players they like and the tendencies of their GMs. Um, and you mentioned the jets and could they potentially fall in, in love with a guy like Henry Ruggs. And this is something I mentioned on my podcast um, with Tyler Beaker uh, yesterday. I am a guy that watches college football, sun up to sundown and then pro football, sun up to sundown. However, um, I, I don't really pay attention to the evaluations of, of college players when they're coming out. That's just not my thing to, you know, watch tape or so basically the only thing that I know about all these players in terms of how they're being evaluated and their skill set is what I read others, others saying. So correct me if I'm wrong. Judy's the more polished receiver, right? He's like the typical alpha a uh, wide receiver one. And Henry Ruggs is more of a Tyree kill blow the top off the defense type player. Is that, I mean, that's what I, that's what I thought I saw on, on Saturdays when I watched Alabama, but correct me if I'm wrong. No. Yeah. Judy is like best route runner in the class. Like does a lot of like the technical receiver things. Ruggs has some of those traits also, but he is definitely like the Deshaun Jackson, Tyree kill, like, you know, threaten the defense, gravity, stuff like that. Got it. So at running back, it seems that DeAndre Swift is the far and away uh, favorite to go number one. Is there any value with uh, a team falling in love with Jonathan Taylor uh, or J.K. Dobbins? Taylor right now, from when I uh, put these notes together, Taylor was plus 180. 
and Dobbins was plus 850. Now, this does not, uh, you know, there's no requisite of when they go. So this could be, I mean, the first running back could be taken on day three, but as long as the first running back taken is Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins, you win that bet, just so the listeners are, are clear. It's not like a first-round bet or anything. Is there any way that Swift back off the board? I definitely think it's possible that Taylor goes before him, but I've grown – uh, a little less confident, I think, as time has gone on. I mean, uh, it seems like now it's trending towards, like, maybe there isn't even a first-round running back. So I guess once you get into round two, I think that, like, the variance kind of increases. Right. But, I mean, I just feel like I really thought that after the combine, Taylor was going to overtake Swift, like, clearly. And it hasn't happened. So the fact that that still hasn't happened just has me nervous. Um, I have bets in on Taylor and Dobbins. Like I, I definitely could see it happening. Um, probably less so with Dobbins. Like I, you know, the, the over-unders on Swift and Taylor are very close, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Um, but Swift does seem to have kind of like a stranglehold on that. I, I'm, I'm not going to bet him. Like I, that's just like, I don't bet big favorites like that. So I won't do it, but, uh, I'm definitely a little less confident than I think I was initially on, uh, on Taylor. And it's funny, like, I mean, you said you thought that Jonathan Taylor was going to overtake Swift after the combine, and he had a very, very good uh, combine uh, numbers-wise. So do you think that is, like, uh, just something about Wisconsin? Do you think GMs are, are, you know, kind of fading these Wisconsin backs that have 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns because every one of them do it? And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to put my finger on why Taylor wouldn't be uh, closer in odds there to, to DeAndre Swift. Can you, can you highlight that? Yeah. I mean, I, maybe it's the Wisconsin thing a little bit, but I, I just think that Swift has like, like even though he's, he's done less in college, he has more of those like blue chip traits. Like teams definitely like him better in pass protection than they like Taylor. They like his hands better than they like Taylor. Like Taylor caught some passes in his final year, but for the most part, didn't really do that in college. And I, by like all accounts, he's terrible in pass protection, which still matters for some reason to NFL coaches. So uh, yeah, I think that those reasons have Swift ahead of Taylor for a lot of teams. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> that's kind of what I was hinting at when I said that I watch college football and pro football, but um, you know, the evaluations kind of escape me because I don't pay much attention to them until they're in the league. Something like that, where, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor is in, is valued as DeAndre Swift. Um, you know, obviously that is not GMs and scouts are looking at their traits and, and not their production because Taylor was a monster, um, in, in terms of, you know, yardage and and touchdowns at Wisconsin. And I think yesterday I even met, I mentioned how, uh, I was surprised how far down the, uh, wide receiver rankings LaVisca Chenault was because I I loved him at Colorado and he was a huge producer. He was just like a, you know, really fun to watch. And when I saw like he was ranked behind certain guys that, um, I wasn't just, you know, enamored with when they played, um, you know, that's just an evaluation thing. What guys see on tape metrics type stuff that I am just not completely in tune to. So then, Coming down, we, we hit running back, we hit wide receiver. I want to talk about tight ends. Um, I feel like tight end is, is real weak this year, and right now they have Cole Komet as the first tight end off the board at minus 300, and that jumped out to me because um, he's not seen as a prospect that really is blowing anybody away. In fact, 
there's not really a huge need for tight end across the the league, and uh, it just seems like these tight ends aren't. Uh, no one's really popping. But then, like you have guys like um, smaller school guys like uh, Troutman and Hunter Bryant, and then you have Hopkins from Purdue and Al O from uh, was it Mizzou? Did he come yeah. out? Yeah. All those guys, uh, I feel like, could be potentially the first tight end off the board based on what a team wants in their tight end. Is there value there in any of those guys? Yeah, so I I am very fortunate. So I got Komet very early when he was still plus 170. Oh, geez, yeah. That's yeah, great. so I have, a, I have a little bit of ammo to take uh, some of these long shot guys just to, to mix them in. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned Al O. I like him. You can still get him at 16 to one on DraftKings. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, ran a 4.49 at the combine. He was like coming into the year projected to be a first round kind of guy. So he's taken a huge fall. But, you know, you know, like the way teams kind of view tight ends now, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up coming off the board first. Uh, and my deep, 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 deep sleeper pick is Cody Parkinson from Stanford. Uh, if you look at grinding the mocks, which is a, it really, if you're betting the draft, like you have to use grinding the mocks. It's a website by Benjamin Robinson, um, but he basically tracks like all these mock drafts. And if okay. you sort, if you just, if you just sort out only the expert mocks, his like lower limit expected draft position is ballpark like some of these other guys like Troutman and and Al O, but he's eighty to one, eighty to one on DraftKings. So you know again. It's a long shot. Like there's not a there's not a ton of uh, I would say that it's maybe like a five percent chance or a ten percent chance, whatever it is. But you're getting it at, at better than that. And you know, at eighty to one, you don't have to bet a lot to win a lot. So yeah. that's uh, that's one that I like a lot. Yeah, those are the kind of bets that you like chase where you don't have to lay down too much and the uh, the GPP style reward is there if it hits. Um, and the, la- the last guy that I kind of want to touch on is, unless you have any other ones that you want to talk about, um, is Jalen Hurts. And it, so he, I haven't really found uh, – I think it was on Bet Online I found an over-under on him, which was 62 0.5 but most sites have it by round i think they just don't really they don't really have their finger on the pulse of where he's going to go so they they went um they classified his his prop bets by round so round one plus 700 highly 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 doubtful anyone takes jalen hurts in round one um round two plus 155 round three plus 105 and round four plus 650. So my question here is, um, obviously, even round three is probably the best bet. Um, that's why it, it, it's the worst odds there. Is there any chance that he falls to round four plus 650? And does it seem like 62.5 is kind of low for, for Jalen Hurts right now? So I think he's a day two guy. Uh, where exactly on day two is definitely up in the air. Uh, his over/under opened like I want to say maybe like three weeks ago on FanDuel. It was seventy-five and a half, and uh, I know uh, Davis Maddock, who I work with at at Roto Experts, he he bet he. I'm pretty sure he like hammered that as as an under. The under. Um, right. I didn't bet it because I was too busy betting the round two odds at okay. the time plus two hundred. Um, so that's where I'm at. Like I, I I'm kind of thinking he's coming off the board hopefully in round two, but definitely like round two, round three. So like, I don't think there's really any value in the over under just because 
you know, like an over under, you're getting minus 110, maybe right. minus 112 or 115 for the most part. Um, just bet the round. Yeah, just bet the round because, like you said, there's really no chance he's going to go in round one. And there's other ways to kind of like get action in on that possibility. Um, you know, betting the under on the 62 and a half is basically saying he's going in round two. Right. So you might as well. <clears throat> yeah, there's only like one or one or two picks of leeway there where you could you could hedge it or, or win both ways there. So I like that uh, that you said that you bet the round, not the over under there. Jalen Hurts is always a guy to me. I, I mean, how the mighty have fallen from a few years ago, right before the championship game. You you figured that um, he was well on his way to to NFL stardom, and uh, you know just fallen off. His value has just fallen up uh, a cliff since then. Um, you know, went to Oklahoma, shaved his head. It's like all these, uh, <laughs> all these crazy things. I, I feel like he didn't even want to be known on campus. So he shaved his head at, at, uh, at Bama and then he transferred and it's, it's almost just like a scarlet letter on him at this point, the big A. You want Britney Spears on us. Try yeah. to... <laughs> all right. So are there any other props that you had in mind, uh, Anthony, that you wanted to highlight? We went through a ton there. We gave the listeners a lot to, to think about a lot of, uh, different money to put down there. Uh, anything else that you, you had in mind? No, no bets, but I mean, just like basic advice, I think is just like, stay attached to the news. Like, uh, as we get closer to the draft, like there's going to be a lot of lying happening, but the sources that you can trust the guys like Schefter, you know, like right. that stuff you want to, you want to take action on. Um, and the books are really not going to adjust too quickly. So if you're, if you're like me and you're just like sitting at home and you're spending a lot of day on the computer, like I just keep my, my betting, my, my sports book tabs open. And like, if I see something, I just look to hit it. And I, you know, if you're, if you're into this and that's like something that you're into, um, you know, that's definitely a great way to make some money as we get into these last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's great advice. Go to Twitter, turn on the notifications for Schefter and some of those other draft guys. And if you see that stuff's been leaked and you can get uh, the odds before they change, uh, definitely, definitely plus EV move there. Okay, so one of the things that I also wanted to talk to you about, because this is mainly a DFS podcast, I'm kind of veering off uh, the rails here in March because there really isn't much to talk about uh, in terms of DFS. But I do want to touch on uh, something that I followed your, your 2019 season was definitely a profitable one. You're very, uh, you know, out in the open, very transparent with your, your record and and how you did each week. And I know that that's a little bit different uh, from your approach the previous years and that switch up really helped you um, be a winning DFS player last year. So can you, you know, talk to that a little bit? Um, what changes, what tweaks did you make to uh, kind of increase your ROI over the last year? So it kind of like goes hand in hand with what I was saying earlier about my bets. Like I, I'm really playing a lot less. Like I don't, I don't play probably nearly as much cash as I used to. Um, my tournament exposure, like I'm really, play, I'm lo- really looking to play like 1% of my bankroll um per slate if i'm just playing tournaments and that's like way less than i was playing before but it really keeps me it's really helped me with the bankroll management like i'm just very protected uh i mean you'd have to lose like you're playing one percent like you'd have to lose a ton of slates in a row to to be like in a, in a really bad spot bankroll wise um 
And it's just like, I think like part of the game, especially in the more popular sports like basketball, football, um, probably not as much baseball, but that'll probably get there at some point. Like the edges are just way smaller. So like very similar to like the reason why I don't want to take a lot of like minus 110 bets is the same reason why like I don't want to play too much cash unless I think that there's like a really good lineup that week or a good edge, you know, like I want to have confidence probably in, in what I'm doing. So I'm really just looking at hammer edges. Uh, played a lot of PGA showdown this year, which I think is, I think it's the softest game out there. Honestly, if you have like decent projections from somewhere or you can find projections or make projections, uh, get into some PGA showdown because that is, that is mega soft, I think. Um, but otherwise, like I said before, I'm just really looking to maximize return when I'm right. So in football, like uh, I'm making some pretty high contrarian stacks, uh, you know, in baseball, I will do the same thing. I, I hope we get baseball soon so I can do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just realize, realize the frequency with which events happen and the, you know, the probability that's being implied by the ownership, you know, and I think just kind of playing DFS more as a game, instead of focusing so much on like what I'm projecting to be the outcome has, has been huge. Uh, Jordan Cooper, uh, Blender HD on Twitter. Right. Yeah. He talks about this a lot. And I, I just really, really try to like follow a lot of the stuff that he's saying about this because it, it makes a lot of sense and, and, and it works, you know, like you, you might still go a really long time without, without winning, but it's not going to cost you a lot. And when you do win, it's going to be, it's going to be for a lot. So I, I think, uh, I think just being contrarian and, and playing the ownership, which are things I like to do really anyway, but kind of just sliding into that skid as much as possible is, uh, has been super helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's one of the hardest things for, you know, the common person who's playing DFS to get through their craw is that, you know, you can be wrong about who the best players uh, are going to be and who, who, ha- who is going to have the biggest performance that week. You can be very wrong. And um, you know, you see like, why wouldn't you just play the best lineup? Why would you pick a person that's going to be um, 5% owned over someone that has a better chance of outperforming them, et cetera. And I think when, as you're mentioning, that's like some of the things that, that Jordan speaks to when you realize that it's all percentages and uh, based on their projected ownership, uh, you know, the chances that they outperform their salary based expectations, you have to take all that into account. And it's really hard for someone, you know, to put in, uh, let's say, this is just a bad example, but let's say <laughs> uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, you know, take him out of their lineup because, you know, he's catching eight balls a week and everybody loves Hopkins and he's going to be 30% owned. And then stick in someone like, um, I don't know, Alshon Jeffrey, who is going to be 5% on, but, you know, you think you might have an edge there uh, based on some, some of the research that you've done. It's a really tough trigger to pull, um, but when you're right, that's when the big spikes happen. Right. And I think that uh, following you over the course of the 2019 season and seeing you be transparent and kind of talk through your process on Twitter was definitely something that people uh, – could have learned from if they didn't see those tweets. So if, if, if you are someone who missed those tweets, you know, search up Anthony on Twitter, go back and find those tweets because he definitely walked through the process and there was a, a lot of good info out there on how he came about uh, constructing his lineups. 
Yeah. Can I, okay. can I just say one more thing on that actually? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know if you're like in a time crunch or something, but so no, no, like, not at all. like specifically getting that contrarian lineup through stacking, I think is way more valuable than like a one-off swap. So like if I have, if I have just like a lineup and I'm debating between two players, like, like you were saying, like, you know, if I have like, I don't know, Amari Cooper or Michael Gallup, like I'm just trying to pick a Cowboys receiver. I don't have Dak Prescott. Like that, that decision, if there's, you know, a 15% difference in ownership, like that decision on its own obviously gets you to a, can get you to a contrarian lineup. But when you're contrarian through stacking, what's happening is like not now, not only do you have a low owned lineup, but it's correlative. So like your low owned plays or your, your, your total like stack ownership when it's low, all you need is that stack to hit and the rest of your lineup, you can kind of do with what you want. So in other words, like if you, if it's, uh, I don't know if it's week 16 and, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a team, I guess, uh, will be a popular like this year, probably I'm sure the Cardinals like Kyler to, to, to Hopkins is going to be popular. I'm sure. Sure. Right. If you play, if you play Kyler to Hopkins in a good matchup, like even if that, even if that stack hits, you're competing in like these big tournaments, you're still competing with like a hundred thousand other people, like 5,000 other people. Like you still have to get the right pieces elsewhere. But when you take the contrarian stack, you know, Fitzpatrick to Devontae Parker, uh, you know, uh, Derek Carr to Darren Waller, like whatever it is. I mean, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Right. But when that low on stack hits now, if that's the stack you need, you're only competing with like five other people you know, like 10 other people. So you don't, your room for error in those like one-off selections is way wider and it way, it, it like much greater increases your chances of winning when you're correct on the, the, the stack, which I think is the, the more like macro option that you're making in the lineup. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you go back and look through some of the lineups that have won uh, millionaire makers, <clears throat> they'll have a, a real low stack, like a 2% on quarterback, and uh, a 5% on wide receiver and a 10% on tight end that absolutely exploded. And then if you look at some of the other players in our lineup, they might have whiffed a little bit at running back. Um, and based on, you know, just piggybacking off what you said there, you have room for error in those one-off spots. If you smash <clears throat> the, um, the stack that goes off and, you know, you're, you know, like you said, you're competing with a lesser amount of people. So the last thing that I have here uh, is something that I ask everybody that's been on this series. And it's a question that I've really, uh, I've enjoyed the answers to. So if you couldn't do your own research, right? Um, you're still playing DFS, you're playing NFL DFS or PGA DFS, whatever it may be. You can't do your own research for whatever reason. Um, whose content would you turn to? Well, I'm going to be a company man and I'm going to say uh, the Roto Experts, Daily Roto Family. Um, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the content that I've read kind of like over the years, obviously so much of it is just garnered towards, uh, picks and selection. Right. Um, but I've really found a lot of the daily Roto content has, is, is made to help you think better as a DFS player to educate you. Um, so I really enjoyed you know, being a part of some of that stuff, but also just reading and, and, and listening to what some of these sharper players think. Uh, you know, I mentioned Jordan Cooper before, Blender HD, uh, definitely someone that I'd listen to. And 
he does content at Rotor Grinders, uh, but even just checking out like his Saturday night streams and stuff before uh, a slate has been really, really helpful. Uh, and then just like in, in the general like fantasy football space, uh, JJ Zacharyson and uh, Sean Siegel, I think are two of the best uh, for me to me. I mean, I think that, I think that like the biggest thing that I always get out of them is like, I know that their work is always very honest. You know, like I feel like the content is very good, but the work is very honest. And uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like that's like, that's hard to find, you know, like it's just like very genuine, very honest content. And uh, you know, that kind of like what they're giving you is, is what they've found through a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of study uh, and generally is not very biased. So I, uh, those are, I just want to shout those guys out. Yeah, I love all those guys. I mean, not only is Jordan's streams uh, informative and kind of eye-opening, but he's pretty hilarious too. Uh, <laughs> Professional comedian. And, yeah, and uh, JJ, funny. I think I think he's probably been mentioned on every podcast to this point, and <clears throat> rightfully so. Uh, story about JJ. He and I were on the same podcast i believe it was our first podcast appearance ever as you know whatever you want to call fan fantasy analyst this was back in like 2013 um jim day had us on his fantasy taz podcast and our careers have taken uh different trajectories since then (laughs) in the fantasy space but um you know he's kind of gone full-time and is crushing it and is one of the uh you know the mount rushmores of of fantasy football and deservedly so He, he puts out great stuff so uh, this is the part of the show where we transition into a little bit more of everyday life discussion. And one thing that Anthony and I have in common, aside from striking good looks, is that we are both educators. And uh, so I wanted to touch base with him on how virtual, you know, e-learning and um, how this COVID-19 coronavirus has impacted his life as a teacher now that we are at home and doing all this e-learning. So like what, the first thing I want to know is what's your district's approach? Because I feel like districts across the country have taken widely different stances on the expectations and how they're going to go about uh, virtual teaching. And so what has your district kind of done with it? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel really fortunate and we were talking about this a little bit before the show, but uh, so my school, my district is a, is a one-to-one school, one-to-one district. So like all our students from like, I want to say like seventh grade and up, like they all have Chromebooks. Okay. Uh, so like we've had that probably for two or three years. Um, so like the second we were starting to get some of this technology, I really like tried to dig in and figure out how we can maximize that. A lot of other people in my district have done the same thing. So like we were pretty prepared, I would say for the most part to go home and, and teach from home just because we already had the technology in place. We didn't have to like scramble to do it. And, uh, you know, we had enough people at least to kind of educate some of the other staff on, on how to best use it and how to, how to teach from home. So, um, you know, I think for the most part, we're using a lot of Google meet. That's been, I think very consistent for everyone, but like we're checking in with our kids every day. Like we're actually like, we're having school still on a schedule. Um, we meet each class. So we're, 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 we do block scheduling. So we only have four classes in a semester. Okay. So we meet each class. It used to be for 85 minutes. Now we're meeting for an hour, uh, but we do it on a schedule. Like there's no bell obviously cause we're all at home, but it's like, you know, first period is eight twenty to nine twenty. you know, second period is nine twenty five to ten twenty five every day. 
So we're really getting, I feel like we're getting, you know, basically a, a normal school day out of it. Uh, obviously there's some things you can't do and, and there's some differences um, and there's some things you got to work through, but yes. I feel really good kind of about like what we've done as a district. And I'm, I'm pretty pumped, honestly, to be, to be here and, and doing these things. That's actually uh, really awesome to hear that um, it, it's, it's flourishing in your district. Now, when you say that you have class for an hour, do you have to be um, on some type of video platform for that hour? Uh, or do you just have to be like in a chat or, uh, you know, answering emails? What does that entail as far as um, being, you know, uh, at your students' uh, disposal for an hour? Yeah. So people do it differently. Um, I know, like, I know there's people that basically will just get, they give you the work for the day and, and you have the, the hour to do it or whatever. Um, I teach every day. So like I literally go on, like I have a PowerPoint that I go through. There's a couple of really good programs out there. If, uh, if you're a teacher that's listening and, and you're looking for stuff. Uh, I mean, I use Google meet to talk to my kids, but uh, screencastify, and there's a few, there's a few, it's only $50 for the year, but there are a few codes out there through COVID that'll let you get it for free. Uh, if you, if you're interested in that stuff, just, just hit me up on Twitter and I'll see what I can find for you. Um, but Screencastify lets you like record your screen and like write on it. So I, basically I can project my screen to my students and then I'm, I'm writing on it. Like I'm teaching basically as if I was just at a, at a, at a blackboard or whiteboard. Um, but then I'm saving that video and I'm posting it to my Google classroom. So my students can go back and rewatch the lesson if they need to. So, so honestly, like that's almost better than, than what we do, like in a normal class setting. Yeah. Absolutely. Just because like, if you're like, kind of like those and off there in class, like you, you're out, like you miss out, but now you can kind of rewatch the lesson and stuff like that. So that's been my approach, but there's definitely been a wide range of approaches. And uh, you know, we all have to check in at the start of the period to take attendance. Like that's mandated. Um, and we are taking attendance and calling parents home if kids aren't showing up and stuff like that. Uh, but teachers definitely have like a ton of freedom where I am to, to do kind of like what they see as best throughout yeah, a, a so class period. I'm currently kind of in a predicament because my current district that I teach in <clears throat> is urban and, you know, a lot of the kids don't have the technology. So they're, everything is like review and enrichment currently because they didn't want to make anything mandatory when, a lot of the pieces aren't in place for the students to succeed, which is tough, but I actually am starting in a different district on May 1st, which oh, what is... What a time yeah, to change, huh? <laughs> I know, man. Listen, and, and like my district is, uh, like I said, it's an urban district. It's kind of, uh, um, you know, the, the financial status of the district is in flux. And um, so I, I applied to the, my, actually the, the, the town that I live in, it's, it's a really good district. It's more similar to the one that you work in one-to-one. They all have Chromebooks. Um, it's a little bit more of a um, affluent area. And, I, you know, I hate to, I hate to leave. I, 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 it was a tough decision because I felt like I was abandoning, you know, the students that I had, but it was a decision that I had to make for me, but what I'm getting at here is I'm going to go from, you know, just posting review and enrichment work and helping like a couple students because we, we can't even make them sign on. Like it's not even, our district isn't right. even like making attendance mandatory. And then um, what I'm getting from teachers in the district that I'm going to on May 1st is that like they're full blown, like video conferencing for 45 minutes at a time, um, teaching lessons on like whiteboards at their kitchen table. So it's going to be a huge change. 
for me coming up here in a couple of weeks and I'm, uh, you know, a little bit nervous to, to make the change and, and uh, you know, especially during this time. So such a, such a weird, a weird uh, time to make the change here. And I, I made the decision long before um, any of this happened. I just, uh, my district was like legally allowed to hold me for three months um, yep. until they found a replacement. So um, I made the decision like back in January to go and then all this happened and it was, um, you know, so we'll see how that goes. How about the, um, like, have you seen any students that like weren't really responsive in class uh, become responsive now that they're at home and learning it, or like vice versa? Has have any students that like were real, like, uh, you know, go-getters like kind of disappeared? Uh, definitely had a little bit of both. Um, a couple of my, like, what's honestly been really cool is like a couple of my like more shy students. I feel like when we were in a classroom setting have been participating like a lot more now that we're home. So that's been really cool. Just kind of see them come out of their shell a little bit. Uh, you definitely have, I definitely have like some students who are like completely checking out. I wouldn't say that they're, that it's like a huge transition. Like it's kind of like who you'd expect right. in your classes. Um, but I would imagine that some of those like attention, you know, like, well, like, so like for me, I teach, um, most of my schedule is like the, is basically like lower level mathematics classes in, in high school. So like I have, I have students who struggle or I have students who have IEPs 504, stuff like that. Right. Uh, so like the kids who have, like you have an attention deficit issue, like obviously that's going to be exacerbated when you're oh, geez, yeah. in your room and you can do like, you know, like kids, like I see kids like they're trying to play Fortnite during my class. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I'm like, dude, come on, give me like 30 minutes. And like, it's usually, it's not like a huge deal. Like it doesn't bother me. Like I get it. Um, but it, but it is something that like, you notice right away. Like if, if someone is already like predisposed to not pay attention, like they're definitely going to pay a little less attention or, or maybe a lot, a lot less attention, uh, when they're at home. So those are just kind of the things I think we got to figure out as we go. Yeah, I'm I'm curious just to see how long it's going to last. Pennsylvania schools have, have been um, shut down till the end of this academic year. So at the very earliest, you know, late August will be the next time we return to, to a classroom. So it's just, uh, and to be honest, like, I can't fathom how this is going to impact students really not having you know, half of a school year in the district that I'm currently in, you know, not having expectations for half of the school year and not having any state testing or, you know, not that that's important, but not really being prepared for those tests for half a school year and just being kind of counted on to sign on and do stuff on their own. Definitely going to see a, a little bit of regression for sure, which is, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it's tough. So <clears throat> the last thing that we do on this podcast is run you through a, a rapid fire of yes or no over under questions. And most people um, that I've talked to has been like everyday life stuff, like dogs or cats, things like that. But since we mainly talked NFL draft and prop bets, I'm going to give you some novelty props before we get out of here. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Will a team have technical difficulties in round one? Minus 500. Yes. Plus 300. No. <laughs> I think at those odds, I think I might take the no. Right, yeah. Uh, over under most people shown in the same room, 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 9.5. 
going over. People people are going to ignore the social distancing for this. I have a feeling. Oh, uh, yeah. So this, they'll be so dumb about it. Will a draftee be shown drinking a beer, yes or no? Oh, yeah. This was a tough one. I'm going to say no. Okay. Will a draftee be shown popping champagne, yes or no? That I'm going to say yes to. That's, that's party, you know? Over under 3.5 dogs shown in round one. Over. Pets, man. Okay. The, pet, the pets always I find know. FaceTime. I think that's a good line, though, um, based on uh, – although I saw the list of the draftees that are, uh, you know, zooming into this to the, to the round one draft. Big and, list. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There is a lot of them. Um, over under cats shown during round one, 0.5. Now, obviously, this is tougher because cats are squirrely. Yeah. Uh, but if I only have to see one cat, I think I'm still going over. Yeah, that's good. There's good odds there. One cat and you are a winner for that one. And I think this one has the best odds that I've seen uh, in terms of the one that I like. I'm not sure if you saw it, so I'm not going to give you the odds. I'll let you pick and then we will discuss the odds after the fact. Who will Joe Burrow embrace first after being selected? Mom, dad, girlfriend, sibling, or friend? So, okay. So I'm going to go dad just because I know like his dad is like a coach like, I have to imagine that his dad, like, has grinded the crap out of him for the last, like, 20 years of his life. Uh, so my assumption is that they just have, like, a really good relationship, and that's where he's going first. But I, I don't have, like, you know, that's, like, half-ass internet research. I don't really have, like, a, you know, <laughs> there's no formula to it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a good basis for, for the bet, at least, though, on something that you really can't research or, or be, you know, have any analytics or know anything about. Um, so mom is plus 125, dad is plus 250, girlfriend is plus 300, sibling is plus 700, and friend is plus 700. I think dad at 250 is pretty good. I actually like that. You kind of talked me into it, uh, especially knowing all the, you know, all the storylines surrounding Burrow and his dad. They always show him in the stands and, and you know, make mention of how he has mentored him through his whole life. I think girlfriend is a good one too at 300, you know, just, just based on proximity when they're all sitting on the couch, watching the TV, I assume that the girlfriend is going to get a seat next to, to Burrow. And I think just mm-hmm. based on, just based on her sitting next to him um, is plus 300 probably is some good uh, plus EV there as well. So I like both of those bets. I like it. Proximity wager. <laughs> yep, man, that's a proximity wager. All right, Anthony, this was an awesome podcast. I hope people go out and bet some of the props that we talked about and win some money. And I hope that the rest of your school year goes well and that you stay safe and healthy. Same to you. Uh, and let's uh, let's do this again sometime, man. Yeah, fun. absolutely. This was fun. All right. Talk to you later, man. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. All I see is signs. All I see is dollar signs.